there. But, you know, this is also good. So I, we're, uh, we're excited about this. And it's going to be pretty much the same uh, type of study and, you know, discussion and just like the other uh, books that we've had. The other thing I want to just announce is that at the end of this month on Saturday, I just want to remind you, January the 26th, that we're having our men's breakfast here, and that's uh, from 8 to 11. So I encourage you guys to uh, come and bring a, a breakfast dish. And uh, you guys have uh, attended these. These are, these are uh, a blessing. So I encourage you guys to be a part of that and put that in your calendars. So I asked tonight, I've asked Brother Danny to give the teaching. Let's give him a hand. How you guys doing? If you, if you want to leave, now's your chance. <laughs> All right, let's pray and then uh, see what the Lord has for us tonight. Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, God, and, and Lord, what a blessing it is to be here tonight as men, Lord, and just to, Lord, to be able to give of our time, Lord, and and uh, for a worthy cause, Lord, for you, Lord, uh, to get closer to you and to one another. Pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would be in our midst tonight, Lord, and that you would bless us, Lord, through your word. Pray that you would speak to each one of us individually, Lord, and that, uh, God, your heart would be poured out. Lord, for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So when Pastor Ray asked me to share with you guys about these last three chapters, you know, I was kind of excited, and, and then I read the chapters. Did you guys read them? Oh, man. <laughs> when I read them, I figured no one else wanted to teach about enemies, money, or change, so hey, why not go to me, right? Uh, but I'll tell you what, the more I read this, uh, and studied them, the more I believed that the Lord wanted to teach me something about these topics, topics, um, and that's what I feel like the Lord wants me to share with you guys tonight, what he's kind of showed me. So um, the way we handle every aspect of our lives as Christians, whether good or, good or bad, will give us, as well as those around us, an understanding of how much we actually put our trust in the Lord. Um, it's easy, I think, to declare to each other, um, or to anybody for that matter, that we trust the Lord for everything. And all the time, because it's just words. Uh, but when the roads get rough, and we truly find out what we've really given to the Lord, what we've really put into his trust, into his care, and how much we actually rely and depend on him uh, as individuals for whatever the reason, for our jobs, for our marriages, for our children. Um, so tonight... We'll be looking at the last three chapters of the book. Uh, they focus on how we relate to people, to money, and to change. So we'll see in chapters 28 how we deal with enemies, uh, chapter 29 how we deal with money, and chapter 30 how we deal with change. So if you guys have your Bibles, which I'm sure you all do, <laughs> turn to Matthew chapter 5 for me, please. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at this passage for how we deal with enemies or those we find uh, difficult uh, to deal with. Sometimes, you know, we're difficult to deal with. We just don't like to think so. But we're going to look at other people tonight. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48 says, You have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you 
that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes it ri- the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus was teaching his disciples to treat their enemies different than the religious leaders of that day taught. The disciples were not only to pray for their enemies, but they were also to love their enemies. You know, it's easy when we're, when we're able to pray for people that we don't like because we don't actually have to deal with them or interact with them. We can just, whatever we get from them in person is enough, and then we can just go and pray for them. But Jesus was actually telling them to love that person. You can't love somebody unless you interact with them. You know, it's, it's not one of those things that you can just do. If I don't know somebody, I mean, I can't really say that I love them because I don't really know them. But Jesus was telling them, look, you got to do and be more than these other people, the tax collectors, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes. You have to go above and beyond. We have to be like our Lord. And that's what he did. He loved everybody so much that he died for everybody. Whether they were good or bad, he still died for them. I don't know about you guys, but when it comes to enemies uh, or those that I have a hard time getting along with, I kind of want to pray like David did sometimes. You know, in the psalm, uh, Psalm 58, 6, he said, break their teeth in their mouth, O God. I mean, and, and that to me sometimes, especially when I'm in the flesh about it, is like, man, Lord, can you just, you know, give them a wallop? But that's not how we're to be. It's in those times when I get frustrated that the Lord reminds me of how much grace and mercy that he's shown me as an individual. And that's when I have to be willing to show those people the same type of love. I can't go about things in my flesh and deal with things the way my flesh wants to. I have to deal with them the way the Lord desires me for me to. In Romans chapter 5 Verse 6 through 8, it says, For we were still without strength. In due time, Christ died for the God, ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. And why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If he died for me. I know how rotten I am. Maybe you guys don't. <laughs> Gary knows how rotten I am. But I know how rotten I am as a person. And for Christ to die for somebody like me blows my mind. And so I need to treat people that I have a difficult time dealing with the way God treated me, with love, with respect. He, he couldn't wait to wrap his arms around me. And so too for us with other people. Warren Wearsby said, you aren't responsible for the way others treat you but you are responsible for the way you respond. You know, how we respond to people, if we return it in like kind, you know, we're no better than, than they are at that point. You know, when the Bible talks about an eye for an eye, it, it didn't mean that now you have the right to go pluck out somebody else's eye. It was a limitation on what we were allowed to do for what others did to us. Otherwise, you take one of my eyes, I'm going to cut your head off. You know, that's the way we think. That's the natural man. That's how we respond and how we react. Well, you punch me once, I'm going to punch you ten times. 
And it's a limitation for us. I mean, we need to act with godly fear and treat others with love and kindness. I mean, that's what the Lord would want us to do. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21, it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcoming evil with good. And that's contrary to our nature. We can't allow Satan to provoke us to respond in the same manner as those we would consider enemies or people that are difficult for us to handle. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. In James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Not one of the times when I've gotten angry has God been glorified. Not one of the times when I've gotten angry have I made myself or him righteous. It's just me. It's my flesh. I think the hardest thing for us to remember when dealing with difficult people is that there's a spiritual battle that's going on. There's a fight for people's souls that we don't even realize because we can't see it. I mean, it's going on above our heads, and it's something that we don't have, you know, the ability to see. But it's always a battle. It's a battle for that person's soul, whether they're going to be in heaven one day or whether they're going to spend eternity in hell. And the quicker we recognize that, the better off we'll be and the better off they will be. Because then they'll see the love of Christ in our lives, you know, and pouring out through us. And they'll, they'll wonder why. How come it is that I'm so mean to you? And I'm such a jerk to you, but all you can do is say, hey, good to see you. <laughs> you know, they'll think something's different. Either you're a little off upstairs or you got something I don't have. And what is that? Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It's a battle. And the battle is not won by our might, but by God's Spirit. And how we interact with people, how we deal with them, how we show them the love of Christ is going to stick with them forever. Because the next time, if we're a bad example, the next time they meet a Christian, they're going to be thinking about us. Were we a good example or a bad example? God's desire for us is to love everyone because we're all created in his image. And if we're created in his image, I mean, we need to love like he does. While some people are easier to love than others, if we only love those that love us, we're no different than the non-believer. You know, some people we love because we have to. It's usually family. <laughs> you know, I got some family I love because I have to. But honestly, I mean, the more I deal with them, the, the more I get close with the Lord, the more I see that I want to love them. You know, because some of them are saved, some of them aren't. Some of them were saved and are no longer walking with the Lord. 
And, and what's going to happen to them when they die? And if I'm the only link to Christ that they have, I better be a good example. I better be somebody that they can, they can turn to in times of need, in times of difficulty. Say, hey, can you pray for me? You know, I, I know I'm mean, I know I'm bad to you, but, you know, I, I'm going through a tough time. Can you pray for me? What a blessing it is when that happens, too, you know? Because you know it's the Lord. It's nothing that you did. It's nothing because, man, you're in your mind, outwardly you're smiling, and inwardly you're just like, whoa, you know? But you give it to him outwardly, and, and the more you do things, the more you go outwardly with being nice to people, believe me, the easier it gets. Pretty soon you don't have to. It doesn't, not something you have to fake anymore. It's not something you have to put. It's just who you are. And you love them with the love of Christ. Warren Wiersbe also said, Because God is omniscient, he can't forget anything. But he chooses not to hold our sins against us. He remembers to forget. Some of us are like elephants. You know what they say about elephants, right? They never forget. Uh, Usually it's our wives. They don't forget things that we do. But, you know, that's, that's just the way it goes for married couples sometimes. But... We have to be able to have the ability to forget and, and not bring those things up from the past towards those people that they've done that have wronged us or hurt us. We have to have the ability to move forward. It's hard, if not impossible, for, for, us, for us to forget the wrongs that have been done to, done to us. But if we want to be like our Lord, we need to ha- not have enemies. We need to put them aside. We need to put those fleshly desires to, to dislike people aside. The way we do this is by praying for our hearts to change, praying for them and showing them the love of Christ. You know, I, praying for us is something that we do often, but praying for those other people, man, is something that we really have to have a heart to do. We have to ask the Lord to change our hearts. Because we have to want them in heaven. You know, we have to want them to have salvation. Not so they don't burn, but so they get to know the Lord and his goodness and his love. So that whatever it is that damaged them in their lives and messed their lives up to make them the way they are would change. Would be taken from them the way it was taken from us. You know, I shared my testimony with you guys a while, you know, some time back. It's a messed up things happened to me that most of us have, you know. If, if I didn't go chasing the girl to church and get saved and she never sh- shared the love of Christ with me, where would I be? I got to think about those people the same way. Where would they be if nobody shared the love of Christ with them? If they get saved, what a blessing. If they don't, how sad. He moves on in chapter 29, talk about how we deal with money. It's always a touchy subject, but how we deal with money as Christians is important. Um, In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10, Paul says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these things, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So, Paul talking to the church in Ephesus where they were teaching that godliness was a means of gain. And while in contrast, Paul says that godliness is only effective when we're content with what we have. You know, if, if somebody's always pursuing money, then you know where their heart is, because where their treasure is, their heart will be there also. But if you're pursuing con- godliness with contentment, and you're happy in the situation that you're in, you can find you know, fulfillment in the Lord where you're at. I mean, you're light years above any rich person that, that doesn't know the Lord. Paul gives two reasons why the godly are to be content. First, we came into the world with nothing, and second, we'll leave with nothing. In Job chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. Everything that you and I have, from the clothes on our backs to our houses, our cars, everything that we have belongs to the Lord. And we need to bring honor to him with those things that we have, especially with the money that we have. You know, it's not that God needs our money. It's not that God wants our money. It's that we need to honor God with the money that we have. We need to not be doing things that bring dishonor to the name of Christ. When we're born, we don't have clothes. Some of us barely had hair. Still don't. (laughs) But when we die, everything goes to those that we leave behind, right? We don't pack up all our stuff and have it buried with us, and the next time that I see a hearse towing a U-Haul will be the first time. It doesn't happen. You don't load up all your stuff and say, hey, dig a bigger hole than six by six, please. I need to be able to fit my nice car in there or my Harley or whatever it is that we have, right? We don't do that. Knowing that God supplies all our needs should cause us to be content because we know he's concerned with our needs. He has concern for the things that we have need of. He's not a father that's going to give his child a stone, you know. He knows what we have need of before we ask. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, God has given us this day our daily bread. I ate today. I'm sure you guys did. I'm sure we're going to eat a little bit later. You know, everything, all the food that we need, all the stuff that we have, God has given us for this day. We need to be thankful for it. And our problem is that we get confused between needs and wants. And we don't get what we want. We become discontent. Oh, Lord, why? I've heard Christians that have been Christians longer than I have. Oh, how come... The Lord is blessing that person over there. They're so evil and wicked. I mean, seriously? That's Bible 101. You know, the Lord doesn't treat us all the same. I mean, we're not like sitting there going, hey, look. You know, the Lord doesn't go, hey, you're going to get some rain and you're not. I mean, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the just and the unjust alike. And for us, we have to realize that this side of heaven is probably the best that that person's ever going to see if they don't know Christ. So if they're a multimillionaire, hey, more power to them. This is as good as it's going to get if they don't come up with Christ. But we, on the other hand, have treasures stored up in heaven. 
And the Lord has blessed us richly and abundantly with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Amen? Wanting and having nice things isn't wrong. Don't don't think that that's what I'm saying. It's nice to have a nice car. It's nice to have a nice house. It's nice to have a good job where you get paid good money. There's nothing wrong with those things. But it's when those things have us that it becomes a problem. When no longer are we thankful and content, but we want more. And then we start getting away from the Lord and focusing more on our stuff. And we get distracted and taken away from the things that the Lord has used to bless us. And now we think it's all because of us. Oh, look how great I am. You know, I'm so smart. I made all this money. Yet so foolish that I'm walking away from the Lord because of it. When it comes to money, there's some good principles to live by. Don't spend more than you take in. Don't leave God out of your plans. And as God has blessed you, you should bless others. I don't have a lot of money. And I know the Lord has blessed me. And praise God, man, if I'm not willing to give out to whoever, you know, that the Lord has talked to me about. Now I'm smart about it. You know, I'm not going to be stupid and just start handing out money, you know, for, you know, you pray about everything and you ask the Lord to give you wisdom. But as God has blessed you and as God tells you, you bless other people and you do what he says and he'll honor that and you'll be blessed for it. All that we have is from the Lord. And if we remember that, we'll do well. Everything that we have comes from him. Those that have a continuous desire or a drive to be rich fall into temptation because they're not content. There's nothing wrong with being rich, like I said, but the idea here is to be content in whatever state we find ourselves in. Whatever way and whatever way you find yourself, be content. Find contentment. Contentment. That word. A lack of contentment can bring harm and destruction to us and bring us to the brink of spiritual depravity. If you look at me again at the last verse there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some, having strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money in and of itself is not evil. I mean, the problem isn't money. The problem is our dark hearts. <laughs> the problem is that we get money, and now what are we going to do with it? When we take the money that the Lord has blessed us with and use it for evil, that's on us. That's not on money. Money's paper. It grows wings and it flies away. But our heart is dark. And if we take the money that the Lord has given us and we go and do something evil with it, that's on us, man. Paul goes on to say that some have strayed from the faith due to their greed. They, they didn't just want more money. I mean, they were actively pursuing it. They were running after it. It'd be like having a Brinks truck open up, and as the guy's driving, money's just flying out, and people are chasing it. You know, and they're running it down, and people are, you know, falling and tripping all over themselves to pick up little scraps of money here and there. Greed is not good. 
Those that are in an endless pursuit of money have brought upon themselves many sorrows because they pierce their conscience by ignoring right and wrong. Having a lot of money, I, I can tell you, would be nice. You know, I heard a, a pastor say one time that, you know, he prayed that the Lord would help him to win the lottery. And he went and played one time and he didn't win. So he figured the Lord didn't want him to win the lottery and he never played again. <laughs> you know, it would be nice, you know, to have money. I and mean, there's nothing wrong with it as long as we keep everything in perspective. I'm convinced that many of us as Christians are not rich because we forsake the Lord. You know, uh, we, we'd like to think we know what we would do with that kind of money, but really we don't. You know, our heart deceives us. And we think, I, I knew a guy when I used to, I used to do auto wrecking in the city of El Monte, and I used to work with some guys, and most of them, you know, were Catholic from a Hispanic background. And if any of you guys were uh, Catholic, you know, I guess in the Catholic church they have these gigantic candles that are huge and they light them or whatever they do with them. I have no idea. But he told me, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm going to play the lottery. He's like, and when I win, I'm going to go down and I'm going to buy two giant candles for the church and then the rest is mine. I was like, well, that's so generous of you. Great, you know. I mean, uh, you know, at least if I had one at that time, I wasn't a Christian, I would have just been like, I'm not giving any to the church. What for, you know. At least be honest. I mean, you think you're going to be noble and that the Lord's going to hear that and it's going to be like, oh, okay, you're going to give me candles. I'll do that. All right, you win, you know. It doesn't work that way. First John 3, chapter 20 says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. He knows everything. Even those dark, secret parts of our heart that nobody knows or we think we know, he knows greater than we do. And so anything we think we're going to do with a lot of money, you can just kind of throw that out the window because God knows what you would really do with it. And I'm convinced that most of us aren't rich because of that. You know, we'd like to think we know how to handle money, but most of us don't. Having a lot of money opens a lot of doors, and they're not all good. You know, I I mean, you get invited to a lot of things where a lot of debauchery is going on. So not all doors that open with money are good. We could do a lot of good with money, but again, the heart of man is evil and desperately wicked, and only the Lord can know it. Chapter 30, Warren Wiersbe goes on to talk about how we deal with change, you know, future change or whatever's going on there. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Wearsby says, One thing about change hasn't changed. It still fascinates some people, frightens others, and provides a good living for a prophetic minority. I'm probably in the majority in saying that I don't like change. I mean, show of hands, how many people like change? I don't like change. I'm finding that as a Christian, though, and the closer I get to the Lord, that I don't mind it so much. It's okay, you know? Not like I'm giving the Lord permission, oh, hey, hey, go ahead and change things. No, but I mean that I actually look forward to it. 
I look forward to things changing to see what the Lord has, you know. And one thing we can know is that change is inevitable and it's going to take place whether we want it to or not. Things in our lives change. We get older. You know, some of our hair falls out. Some of our hair goes gray. You know, I, I remember, I remember talking to my wife when, before we got married, you know, and, and I remember thinking, cause I was in fairly decent shape, you know, back then, and, and uh, oh, I'm never gonna get all flat. Yeah, I'm gonna get flabby, you know, and I'm gonna kinda let myself go a little bit, you know. Sorry about that. I remember thinking that, you know, oh, I'm never gonna change. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it happened whether I wanted it to or not. Life gets busy, you get married. Your wife cooks really, really good, and you get fat, you know? That's what happens. The real issue, however, isn't change, but how we react to things when they do change. How do you and I deal with change when it comes about? I mean, do we go in the fetal position and start crying, or do we actually press forward? All right, Lord, see what you have with excitement and with enthusiasm to see what he has next for us. There's been a lot of things going on, you know, within the church building. I mean, you guys can see change happening all the time. And it's it's really neat to see, you know. I've never really been a, ch- a part of a church where they just get into a building and um, and you start to see the way the building changes. You guys remember this? It all used to be open and... You know, it was just amazing. There was no stage here before. We didn't have nice chairs, you know. Upstairs, there was none of that. And what a blessing it is to see how the Lord's change happens and things just start moving. And we're all on board with that, right? With that change that the Lord is doing. It's got to be like that in our lives, too. we got to be on board with the changes that the Lord wants to make. Because they are for our best interest, whether we think they are at the moment or not. Paul gives us in the first half of this verse, um, in verse 2, the first, uh, he gives us, I'm sorry, he gives us in the first half of this verse two commands. Uh, The first one is a negative, it's don't be conformed. And the second one is a positive, but be transformed. First, we'll look at the negative. He says, we're not to conform or change ourselves to the shape of the world or its standards. Our standard is Jesus Christ, which is much greater and higher than that of the world. Our standard goes way beyond beyond that the world could ever think. The world thinks that they have really, really high standards, and they have the bar set high. The bar with Jesus Christ is set far beyond that. It's way higher than we could ever think. He has more for us, more planned for us, than we could ever hope to imagine. And we think... We're thinking huge, but really we're thinking like this. Oh, Lord, I'd I'd like to see this change. I'd like to see that in my life. I'd like to get closer. Oh, man, Lord, it'd be so awesome to to do this or do that. And we're thinking like this, and God is thinking like this. Oh, wait till you see what I have for you. It's going to be awesome, right? And then we're blown away because God has done so many awesome things for us. And, And we just don't understand. Man, Lord, I didn't see that coming. Exactly. You didn't see it coming. Why? Because if you did, you'd probably run the other way. And sometimes the Lord wants to bless us so much and we just can't handle it. It's like, oh, Lord, that's too much. I got to go, you know. Instead, we need to embrace the change. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
I think at times it's difficult for us to know when we're conforming to the world because it happens gradually and not all at once. You know, as Christians, it is possible for us to forsake the Lord and go on back, you know? It's sad. Um, I, I know several Christians that have done it. I've known Christian marriages that have fallen apart because the man, you know, can't keep his thoughts together. Or because the woman, you know, strays as well. And things happen. We end up compromising it a little at a time. And before we know it, we're back in the world. See, the, the trick for the enemy is to get us to compromise a little bit. To not, you know, to think, oh, well, that's not so bad. You can do that. Oh, just have one drink. Just, you know, go hang out with those people just for a little bit. And before we know it, we're changing back to who we were before we were in Christ. It's kind of like cooking a frog. I told you guys, some of you guys that before. And you cook a frog, you don't just throw it into a pot of boiling water. The thing will jump out and scamper on away, right? You put it in some nice, cool water, turn the flame on. It's like a bath. Before you know it, things boiling and cooked. You know? Now, if you like frog, that's great. If you don't, I mean, whatever, but... You know, the thing is that it happens gradually, right? It's not all at once. If the enemy just came up with all this stuff and said, boom, right in your face, you'd probably freak out and run the other way. Run to the Lord. Lord, what was that, right? I have a friend who he he used to smoke cigarettes a lot. And when he smoked, you know, he, he really enjoyed it. I tried to help him stop smoking. One time he told me, hey, the next time you see me smoking, just take the cigarette out of my mouth and throw it down. I'm like, all right, no problem. I'll do that. I was young in the Lord. What do I know? He's smoking. I grabbed it out of his mouth, threw it on the ground, and stepped on it and said, I'm not doing that again. That didn't even feel right, you know? And, uh, and so he told me, uh, he's like, you know, I, I just want the Lord to take it from me. So we prayed, and the Lord took it from him. He's also allergic to alcohol, so he didn't drink. He wasn't a drinker. You know, and he was telling me a story that he he knows that the enemy was trying to tempt him to smoke because one time, without just tempting him with a cigarette, he actually was like, man, I want a cigarette and a beer. And he's like, that's weird because I'm allergic to alcohol. And he just felt like that was the enemy trying to get a hold of him. So he took off and bolted the other way, which is great. But all those changes, they just happen gradually. Things just sort of... One day you're walking with the Lord, and the next day you're like, where am I? I don't know if you guys have ever found yourself in that place. I found myself in that place at times when I was younger in the Lord. And it's not a good place to find yourself in. Because you don't know in your heart whether or not you're going to make it back. And when you do make it back, you praise God and you hold on tight. You know, It's better not to go back. But when you do come back, if you've gone back, hold on tight. Don't feel condemned. Don't feel like, oh, man, I messed up or whatever. You know, dust yourself off. Get up and start walking again. We all stumble. We all fall short. But the trick is not to stay down when you get hit, when you fall, when you stumble. Don't stay down. That's what the enemy wants. Don't stay down. Get up and get moving forward. You know, don't don't mess around. Galatians chapter five, verse seven through nine says, You ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion 
does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. Now, that's key because if you have that little tiny temptation in your life, that little bit of sin that you hang on to, that little thing will corrupt the whole of the good. No matter what it is, whether it's things we look at, things we touch, things we don't think are a big deal, if they're not glorifying God, get rid of them. Because that little bit of temptation, that little bit of something, will ruin everything. It'll mess you up. And then you'll find yourself in a place where you don't want to be. And there's no guarantee when you're there you'll ever come back. By God's grace, he brought me back from where I was. We need to guard our hearts and minds by being mindful of the places that we allow ourselves to go, the things we look at. And I've heard it said that you can keep birds from flying over your head, but you you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. When those things come up, shoo them away. Pray, Lord, help me. Take me out of this place. However, if I got to run like Joseph, then help me to run. Help me not to stay in the situation that I'm in, whatever it is. The second thing Paul talks about is the positive. He says, he gives us a contrast. If we're not to be conforming or changing to the world, then we should be renewing our minds. And this can only happen when we submit to the Holy Spirit who brings about change in our lives and renews our mind through the washing of the water by the word, right? That's what it is. We need to keep the word actively flowing in our lives. We need to keep the spirit, the mind of the spirit, the mind of Christ in our life, in the forefront. We need to see things through his eyes and not through ours. Just because we don't think something, oh, that's not that bad. So what? Run the other way. Maybe the Lord doesn't want you there. Maybe the Lord wants you to change direction. We need to submit to the Spirit. And that will bring forth change and a renewing of our mind. Change is a process and it doesn't happen overnight and that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> you know, when things, when things aren't changing quickly, it's like, oh, man, Lord, just, you know, I just don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be doing that anymore. And we want to change now. Man, we get impatient. We want change to happen. If it doesn't happen quickly in our, in our time frame, in our time schedule, we lose heart. And, and that, that doesn't work for us either. Losing heart is a bad thing too. Because if we get deeper into whatever it is that we're doing, we need to be patient. We need to have a different mind and a different attitude. A mind that says, Lord, I know you're doing a work in my life and I am going to do my very best to stay on path and not to change course. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, For a light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. God has much more, much more better, that's not right, has greater things for us 
than we could ever imagine. We need to have patience. If God is doing a work in your life, allow that work to be completed. Don't decide that, oh, well, it's not happening, so I'm going to go do something else. This isn't working. Continue. I know people that have been praying for things for 20, 30 years, and it finally happens. They want change in the lives of their kids. They want change in the lives of their friends, their marriage. 10, 20, 30 years they've been praying. Nothing's happened. And then one day, they're thinking, I'm going to quit. And then they say, you know what? No, I'm going to continue. And within a short amount of time after that, boom, things change. And they're like, man, Lord, thank you for not letting me give up. Thank you for not allowing me to give in to my flesh, to give in to things that you know, I know are from the enemy. Change is difficult, and it's even painful at times. You guys agree? I mean, I think change can be painful at times. But again, it's a spiritual battle, and it's for our souls, and it's one that we can't afford to lose. You and I can't afford to lose that battle. We're never told that the Christian life would be easy, right? The Bible doesn't say, be a Christian, everything's going to be hunky-dory. You show me that scripture, and I'll give you a cookie. Because that's not there. But we were told it would be worth it. And that should give us hope. It's worth it. Everything we go through, everything we battle with, everything we deal with, it's all worth it. Because God will be glorified and one day we'll be with him. And we'll spend eternity with Jesus Christ. The second part of Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Part B there. says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when the mind is transformed, it's able to clearly perceive what God's will is. We have different roles and functions within the body of Christ, but our goal is the same, which is to glorify God by bringing the good news of salvation to a lost and dying world. That's what we're to be doing. We're to be enacting change within the world, with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers. We're to be doing the will of God, preaching the word so that lives can be changed. Alexander McLaren, he's a Baptist minister from the 1800s, said, To know beyond doubt what I ought to do, and knowing to do it seems to be heaven on earth, and the man that has it needs but little more. You let that sink in because it's kind of old world speak. If you're doing what the Lord wants you to do, and you're doing it, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're doing what the Lord wants you to do, man, you're blessed for it. We're blessed for it. When we know God's word, we know God's will. And that makes change a little bit less scary for me. You know, if I'm, if I'm seeking out the Lord's will and I'm seeing him working and I'm, I'm getting stuff from his word and I'm studying and I'm preparing and I'm doing the things that I'm doing, change doesn't phase me. Because the change that's going to happen is all going to be good. You know, it's when the change is bad that there's a problem, I think. We're all ministers of the gospel, and as such, we need to be good examples for the future generations. Um, myself and Mike and his brother Steve teach, you know, if you guys have young people, we teach some of them. 
Alan teaches the junior high. We're trying to make change in the lives of young people. You know, John with the, the young people's, the young adults ministry there. I mean, we're trying to enact change in the lives of people that, that are going to be the future generations of the church. And what the church looks like at that time, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. But hopefully we'll leave the church better off than we found it. And hopefully those young people will step up and they'll heed the calling of the Lord in their lives and not give in to the temptations of the world and the things that go on. But they'll make changes that are positive in their lives for Christ. And then the process will continue with them and other young people. And so goes you know, the story. My kids, an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old, they're a handful. But they're a blessing. And, you know, they love the Lord for now. <laughs> we'll see what happens when they get to be teenagers. But, you know, if my wife and I are good examples and, and those of you guys that know my kids are good examples, then they have a shot. They have something I didn't have. They have godly parents, you know, that desire to teach them godly things. And I don't know if most of us, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming most of us didn't have that. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't have not one stitch of godliness in my upbringing. But here I stand clothed and sane, so it doesn't mean that you have to have godly parents. But it's a head start, you know, and it's a good thing. When we know God's word, we know what he wants us to do. We'll be able to fulfill his promises, his things that he desires to do in our lives. We'll be able to change in the way he wants us to. I know a lot of us older guys, and I say older, I'm 40, so I don't know how old you guys are, but us older guys, and some of you are going, oh, 40, wow, I wish I was 40. But I know us older guys don't always think so, but young people are more observant than we think. You know, they see things. They know we believe what we say not because we said it, but because they see us live it out daily. You know, that's, that's something that we have to be mindful of. We're all examples of Christ, and whether good or bad, and whether we want to be or not. You hear that from athletes a lot, you know. Oh, I never asked to be a role model or example. Too bad. You know, young people look up to you. It's not a choice. It's something that's just thrust upon you. As a Christian, as Christian men, your examples in your homes. What's that example going to be like? Good, bad, indifferent? You know, what, what do we do? Do we read together, pray together? You know, do we share with each other the love of Christ? Or, or is it just, you know, something we do at church? For the Christian, serving God should be our way of life. It's who we are and not what we do, Right? We all have responsibilities with family and work, and we're all doing things and should be doing things with Christ in the forefront of our lives, always. Change is going to happen. You can't stop it. You can't fight it. You can't outrun it. And that's all right, you know, because one thing remains unchanged, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? 
knowing this makes me excited to see what the future holds for us as men and for this church. What does the Lord have for us next? Man, Lord, it's been exciting to see the things that he's done. And man, I'm just looking forward to what he's going to do next, you know? It's going to be a blessing. I'm going to leave you with a couple of scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. All the things that he's done, all the ways that he loves, he's never changing, never failing. And Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God's got good things for us, guys. We need to hold fast to that. We need to, we need to really cling to that. Knowing that God has good things for us, man, should excite us to see what he's going to do. You know, we're all part of this body. And as a part of this body, we all need to function correctly. We all need to walk. We all need to trust him. We need to take all these things and we need to know how to deal with them. You know, dealing with people, dealing with money, dealing with change, it's all part of the church. It's all part of things that we need to know. And if we do these things and we, and we walk with the Lord, he'll bless us and honor us as a church for it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, God. And again, we are just grateful as men, Lord. I'm grateful that you bless us, Lord. We're grateful that you're here in our midst, Lord. We're grateful that the men that you have put in our church, Lord, to, to teach and to, Lord, study your word, Lord. Pray that they would be faithful. I pray that you would continue to bless us through your worship, Lord, through the word, that you would wash us clean you would help us to be righteous in your eyes, Lord. Help us to embrace, Lord, the things that you desire for us to deal with in our lives, Lord, and to look forward with excitement and anticipation for how you want to change us, Lord, that we may be made, Lord, into the image of your Son, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.